Businesses that rely on in-person interaction have been hit hard this year. My first instinct was to take the products that I had in the salon and put it online. My guests today have taken big risks and found new opportunities. I'm like, why not offer virtual branding classes? I was so emotional that I was connecting with people and not just from Australia, but we had people from Barbados, um, South Africa, Europe. It was just amazing how we can use social media, Instagram in particular, to reach so many different people. But change is not always easy. I was absolutely having a heart attack during that battle with Babyface and come to find out it was probably the best thing that ever happened to us because CNN and all these other platforms said it was just a colossal failure. And I really think that's what kind of um, helped catapult the, the platform into what it is today. Coming up, my conversation with Stasha Harris and Gary Murad. It's an inspiring discussion on how pivoting your plans and experimenting with social media can help your business grow in ways you never expected. Welcome to Boost My Business, an original podcast from Boost with Facebook. I'm David Fisher. As Chief Revenue Officer, I get to meet and connect with all kinds of people, from CEOs of major corporations to entrepreneurs and small business owners. It's part of my job that I love and something I want to share with you through this podcast. I'll bring together unexpected pairings of small business owners and industry leaders to explore surprising parallels in values, experiences, and ideas. In addition to powerful conversations, I'll share practical tips and takeaways to help you on your business journey, whether you run a local business or a global enterprise. Like many businesses at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, both of my guests today had to rethink their strategies. They pivoted to social platforms like Instagram and in the process tapped into global audiences at a scale that was previously out of reach. Now their brands are growing rapidly and they're learning all about the power of social media. My first guest, Stasha Harris, is said to have the magic touch. In fact, she's so good at what she does, she's earned the name Magic Fingers, which also happens to be the name of her hair salon. Stasha is a master stylist known for her intricate braided designs on naturally textured hair and is a sought after instructor with her own line of hairstyling products. I'm also joined by Gary Morella, CEO of Mono Music Group. Gary has over 25 years of experience in the music biz and manages an impressive roster of clients including some of today's biggest producers. He's also the co-CEO of Beat Club, an innovative new platform that allows established and aspiring producers to more easily share and buy beats. And finally, Gary, along with Timbaland and Swiss Beats, is one of the co-founders of Versus, a viral Instagram live series that aims to entertain and showcase the work of legendary artists in genres including hip hop, R&B, and more for virtual music battles. Stasha, Gary, welcome. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. In the spirit of the show, you two are an unlikely pairing, and it may not be immediately obvious what connects you. 
Magic Fingers and Versus were both able to capture the attention of global audiences on Instagram. During a time, people were especially hungry for content and for connection. The fact that you both were able to reach new audiences at different scales speaks to the power of social media to level the playing field for businesses of all sizes. So let's dig in deeper. Stasha, you have an incredible backstory that I'm sure will inspire lots of people listening today. Can you tell us a little bit about how you discovered your talent and passion for doing hair? Sure, of course. So I grew up in Trinidad and I developed a passion for hair at a very tender age. I remember walking around talking about, I'm going to be a hairstylist when I grow up at the age of nine, <laughs> which, um, you know, I was pretty young and I'm just happy that my mom supported that journey from such a tender age. At the age of 13 is when I got my first salon experience. A salon actually opened up in the neighborhood. So thanks to Miss Susan, my mom asked her if it's okay for me to come and do some hands-on training with her, which she agreed. And that's where I started getting some professional experience. I'd love to hear about how you immigrated to the U.S. and started out in a new country. So I came to the U.S. at the age of 16. That's after completing high school in Trinidad. I actually got a job in a braiding salon. While I was working at the braid salon, I went to cosmetology school so I could become a New York State licensed cosmetologist. And I left the salon probably about two years later when I decided that I wanted to be my own boss and make my own rules and schedule. So I left and I rented a chair in a barbershop for about two days. I remember when I left, I sat in the barbershop for four days and I did not get one client. On the fourth day, I cried. It was really difficult because I left my job. I had just gotten married. My husband had just gotten fired and not one client. So I, I cried. <laughs> um, on the fifth day, however, I got two clients and I was so excited. And at the end of the two weeks, which the boss had told me I would have gotten the space for free, he gave me an extension. He said, you know, I realize things are a bit slow for you, so I'm going to give you some more time to build your clientele, which I was very thankful for. And he didn't just do that because, you know, while I was there, I was very helpful. I didn't just sit down. I was proactive. I would sweep up after them. I would do store runs. I would make sure the laundry, you know, the towels are done. Two years later is when I decided that I'm going to stick with my vision and go ahead and open my salon where I can really create the culture that I wanted, which I did. I was 21 years old when I opened my first salon. I had no mentor, no business sense. It was like buying my first car. Someone told me I needed insurance after I purchased a car. <laughs> so I really went into it kind of blind. I didn't know there were like so much different regulations, but I learned as I went along the way and I'm still learning. But opening the first salon was such an amazing experience. I had a lot of support from my family and my husband and his family. It, it was really a joyous moment. Can you tell us about that moment when you decided at age 21 to branch out on your own? That, that must have been a pretty frightening moment, but an inspiring one. Well, it happened so quickly. So the owner, he decided to sell the barbershop. So at this point, I said, you know what, Sasha, you need to, you need to leave. And 
I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. I didn't have time to panic. <laughs> and thankfully, I, I used to save. So at that time, I didn't need to um, get like a business loan or anything. It was just more like action steps. Let's do this. Gary, you also have a really interesting backstory in your case about how you found your passion for music at a young age. Can you tell us about how you got your start? Yeah, I was born in Cleveland and grew up in Connecticut. And my father was in the printing business and we moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And during that time, I was a massive Prince fan. And my dad uh, was president of a printing company and it was right next door to Paisley. And so as kids, we'd go over there and watch Prince record. And my dad was friends with the GM of the studio. And he'd take us over there and I'm walking out of a movie theater and high school and a guy approaches me and says hey would you want to be in a Jets video and Jets was a big 80s group and you know I'm I'm older than um our other guest on here I'm sure <laughs> um and so um you know I go home and I show my parents I'm like you know, this guy's got a card and I really like the Jets and so a couple of days later I went down to the office and they had record plaques all over the walls and I had always had this passion for music and so when I get down there they said actually we want to start a boy band and I have zero talent like I'll be honest I was like I can't sing I can't dance and he said well we you have the look that we want and we want to put a boy band together and so long story short you know all the parents got together the the kids in the group and worked out a you know, the contract situation with this, the manager of the Jets. And um, that was a colossal failure, but it was a great experience for us. So we had a group called Inside Out, and we did, um, I think we did three songs. And it was cool. We recorded them at, at Paisley Park, and we, we shot the videos at uh, Glam Slam, which was Prince's um, club in Minneapolis. And it was somewhat of a Millie Vanilli situation because they actually used all the vocals from the lead singer, of the Jets. And when we heard the records, we were like, that's not us. It was a good experience, though, because, you know, we got a taste of the music business, um, went out on uh, some of the tour dates with the Jets, and I was just fascinated with the whole process and, and everything about the business. You've had quite the career. You've gone from boy band to working with some true musical greats over the years. Can you tell us a little bit more about your current role? You know, I have a management company in El Comano, which you mentioned. We have about 15 producers, including Dallas Austin and Timberland and Lawrence Dobson um, from 1500 or Nothing, which is a very prominent um, production team out here in Los Angeles. And um, a bunch of young guys I signed, and it's been fun. You know, we've done records with a bunch of artists, and yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Amazing, amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about the about Versus, I understand the initial concept was a little different from what it's turned out to be. So tell us a little bit about, about that and what it is and, and, uh, and how it came about. Yeah, um, yeah, it was probably about two or three years ago, um, uh, Tim and Swiss and I and, and Ebro, actually, who's still at Hot 97, uh, were talking about Hot 97 Summer Jam, and we wanted to put together a live producer battle. And we ended up doing it, I think it was 2016 or 2017, I'm not sure what year, but... We, um, Tim and I flew into New York a few days early. We put together a show. We rehearsed with Tim and Swiss, and that was just them playing their biggest records with Jay and Missy and Justin and DMX. Did the show, and I think it was the next morning, um, Envy and the Breakfast Club guys were saying it was like one of the, the, the hottest performances on the whole lineup. And so we immediately tried to package a tour with Live Nation 
the numbers just didn't make sense. So we, we held off on that. And then fast forward to, you know, I don't have the exact date, March 24th or March, whenever it was, beginning of March. Tim was like, yo, I'm going to go live with Swiss tomorrow and we're just going to do the same thing. And at the time I was like, all right, cool. You know, I didn't think much about it and watched them on there and it ended up being five hours. And uh, the next day, everybody was talking about it. And at that point, we said, let's start putting together other battles. And one by one, as we put them together, um, it just, you know, some things were magical. It just absolutely took off. Let's fast forward to today and the current environment. Stasha, for you, hair salons are an in-person client-based business. And you're in New York, which the beginning of this pandemic was was the heart of things here in the U.S. So can you take us back to March 2020 of this year and describe what was going through your mind and happening with the business and how you reacted? March 2020, I remember having the books really full. It was the beginning of... Um, the Shine and Jam tour, we were ready to tour different cities and preparing for the 11th anniversary of the salon. And we just had a lot planned. And all of a sudden, the talk, COVID is spreading. It's in New York, it's in Brooklyn. And there were just a lot of COVID talk. But I had a class on March 17th in the DMV area. And I was like, should I cancel? Should I do this class? I don't feel comfortable traveling. So I ended up driving to the DMV and every news station, every radio station, everything was about COVID, which started getting a bit scary because my mom, she's actually the salon manager at Magic Finger Studio. So when I thought about her and they said, you know, it's hitting the older people harder and then I have a one-year-old and then, you know, the staff and their kids, that's the day when I decided that I was going to close the salon. So this is before the mayor mentioned anything about it. So I told the staff I'll be able to compensate you for like four weeks and then we'll see how this thing goes because it's just too scary. So we called clients, um, we canceled and refunded them their deposits. We told them we wasn't sure what's going on, but, you know, look out for emails or follow us on social media and you'll be sure to get updates on that platform. So a couple of days later after we closed down, that's when they announced that we were going on lockdown. We were going to be home indefinitely. And I had to put my thinking cap on because I still had the rent to pay. I just moved into a beautiful home. There's mortgage to pay. I have, you know, a lot of bills to upkeep. That's when I was like, you know what? You have to keep this business running. So my first instinct was to take the products that I have in the salon and put it online. So I started selling products online, like, oh, it, it was overwhelming, but it was working. And then I remember getting all these requests for online classes. So I'm like, why not offer um, virtual branding classes? So I started doing Instagram lives, but I was just giving them like teasers. You know, I wasn't giving all the information, but I was giving them enough at first to buy the products that I was selling. And once I realized I could, you know, monetize it, I put out a few classes out there and people were signing off like so quickly, like in two days, I was having sold out classes. So I was having like two, three classes a week at the beginning. 
And I was able to have, you know, different staff members help me with different classes. So they would, you know, be compensated. They would get extra compensation once they helped me with a class. And that would be just being in the background, answering any questions that the students may have. And the turnout was amazing. And what really hit me is when I remember, I think I had a class at 9 or 10 a.m. Eastern time. And one of the students said it's 2 or 3 a.m. where they were. And she was in Australia. I'm like, what? We have a student from Australia. And I remember being really emotional, like I'm feeling really emotional right now. I was... <laughs> I was so emotional that I was connecting with people and not just from Australia, but we had people from Barbados, um, South Africa, Europe. It was just amazing how we can use social media, Instagram in particular, to reach so many different people. And it was just amazing and not just to reach them, but to monetize it at the same time and, you know, to try and keep your business afloat. It was just really, really awesome. Stasha. Anyone can produce content online, but not everyone understands how to turn that into a business. Can you talk about how you're able to monetize your content? Sure. So there are different ways. So um, with Facebook, they have the Facebook shop. And once you have a business page, you can actually attach that shop to your Instagram page, which makes it easier for individuals to purchase whatever you're trying to sell directly from your page. So like I said, I did take the products and stuff I had in the salon and put it online because beauty supply stores were closed. So once I posted the hairstyle, the video or picture of the finished look, I would then tag the product. So people were able to purchase. That's one. Another thing is Facebook. Once you have a video that's over three minutes long, you're able to monetize that video. And the third one I was just doing like um, different classes and advertising it through Instagram. I love the swipe up link and it takes the attendees or potential clients directly to where you need them to go. You have 310,000 followers already. Yes. Stasha, that's, <laughs> yes. that's incredible. How, how quick did that happen? Um, when I started my page in 2012, um, a client actually started my page for me. He was like, you need Instagram. And I'm like, no, I have Facebook. <laughs> and he's like, no, for what you're doing with, you know, your creativity, your art, you need to get an Instagram page as well. And while I was braiding his hair, actually, we came up with the name Magic Fingers. And he actually started the page while he was in my chair. And everything was pretty organic. Um I was very consistent with posting, you know, I take pictures and post and then they were kind of like going at one point, you know, the pictures wasn't doing as well. Videos kind of took over. So I started creating video content. So sometimes you just have to like go with the flow and give your audience what they want and see what's working and what's not working for you and just play with it. But um, yeah, a lot of our clients would take pictures and tag us in it. And then their followers would follow us who are interested in it. Um, I also have a series with Cosmopolitan magazine called The Braid Up, which is doing extremely well. We've been working together for about three and a half years. So that series is global. And um, I do get a lot of attention from, you know, that page as well. Gary, you're probably used to reaching massive global audiences with your clients on other platforms, but Versus has accomplished a scale and reach on Instagram Live that was previously unheard of. 
What are your thoughts on its success and some learnings you can share? You know, me and Tim and Swiss, we were all honestly shocked at how quickly it took off. Nobody anticipated that. And um, <clears throat> one of the the biggest impact, the, the most impactful things that happened was the, um, the Teddy Riley um, disaster with, uh, with the sound and all the memes that happened the next day. And I was absolutely having a heart attack during that battle with Babyface. And come to find out, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to us because CNN and all these other platforms said it was just a colossal failure. And I really think that's what kind of um, catapulted, helped catapult the, the platform into what it is today. Um, you know, I think with uh, Erica Badu and Jill was one of the the larger, the, the bigger ones along the way. And I think at that point we had 750,000 people for about two and a half hours, you know, watching on Instagram. And um, as it kept going, we just, we, we, we were surprised every week. We had no idea what we were going to what the next battle was going to look like. And so we, I'd say curate, but we just kind of always put our heads together and tried to figure out what the people wanted. And one of the things on Instagram Live that Tim and Swiss always did after each battle was, you know, sit there and talk for 10 or 15 minutes and throw out. Um, it looked like it was a casual conversation on accident, but it was planned that we would throw out some ideas about suggested battles and then watch what the comments were to see what people would say afterwards of like, yeah, that's a good one. Or oh, you guys should do this. After a while, it was a lot of fans that uh, fans and viewers that really made some of the pairings for the future battles. And um, yeah, we really followed what everybody wanted. Each of you has innovated and found success at a time when, unfortunately, a lot of businesses are struggling and some aren't making it. So I'm curious what you've learned and what advice you can offer. So I've actually learned a lot um, since the pandemic has started. Um, and one is, you know, don't focus on one stream of income and really push yourself. Um, at times we tend to get very comfortable or stay in our comfort zone because there are so much opportunities out there that we can take advantage of. We must, you know, keep thinking and be open-minded and look for other business opportunities. Um, as of right now, the salon is open. Um, I had two locations prior to COVID. Post-COVID, I closed one of the locations I'm actually working on another business opportunity, which I can share. I'm actually op working on opening a natural hair school. There is a really big market for it. Um, I am going to continue to offer online classes to reach those who are unable to travel to the U.S. to take like an in-person class and not just travel to the U.S., but, you know, from different states. So I'm definitely going to keep that open and continue to use social media, which has really helped my business to blossom over the years because when clients come in, I love to find out, you know, how did you hear about us or, you know, what brought you in today? And a lot of people came in through social media and I love that they keep implementing new tools and new features that you can use to help with your business. They even have like a subscription page on Facebook right now, which I, which I'm working on, but it's a way for 
you to put content and, you know, people would pay like a monthly fee to enjoy that content and learn from you. And Gary, how will you continue to innovate and what advice can you offer other entrepreneurs who might be looking to take advantage of social platforms to help them build businesses? It's um, it's opened our eyes um, in, in so many ways. Tim and I are launching a new company called Beat Club that we thought about over a year and a half ago. And you know, then COVID hit. Um, a couple of things happened. We did a funding round in December, you know, obviously without knowing what was going to happen with the pandemic, thankfully. But I think what that's going to do for us um, is moving forward. It's really shown every producer and creator that, you know, the days of getting in the studio and being there with a bunch of people, that's starting to happen again. But with the second wave, I don't know. The new way that we're producing records is remotely from their home and just sending files back and forth. In terms of social media, to somebody out there that's starting something, you know, we, we had some massive failures during Versus. We did a couple that the response wasn't good and the viewership was bad and we took chances. I agree with Stasha that there are some great features there in terms of the Facebook subscription model, uh, which is something that we're taking advantage of, and the shop feature um, on B Club on Instagram, which has done well for us, and same with Versus. So I would just say, you know, really utilize the social media platforms uh, as much as you possibly can because it's, it's tremendously helped me and Timbaland and Swiss with three of our different businesses. Well, Gary and Stasha, thank you both so much for this conversation and for sharing so many of your learnings through what is a difficult time for so many businesses. Thanks so much for joining me today. Up next, I'll share business tips and key takeaways from my conversation to help boost your business. Establishing a digital presence has become increasingly necessary for many small businesses. This can be difficult, but Facebook offers free tools and resources to help. Specifically, if your business sells products, you can take a page out of Stasha's playbook by creating your own digital storefront. Facebook shops are a free way to create your own customized shopping experience on Facebook and Instagram. Shops allow your customers to easily browse, explore, and even purchase your products all from your Instagram or Facebook business page. Get started today by visiting facebook.com business to learn more. My discussion with Stash and Gary was eye-opening and served as an important reminder that no matter your background, if you find your passion and stay committed, you too can find success. They taught me so much but here are a few things that really stood out. First, it's okay to pivot. Both Stasha and Gary already had ideas that worked, but simply weren't feasible due to the pandemic restrictions. Their pivots to online content unlocked new audiences, and with it, new opportunities for both of their businesses. Next, embrace failure. Gary candidly shared some high-profile missteps with early versus battles. But that didn't stop him or his team. Instead, they learned from their mistakes, found ways to improve, and kept moving forward. Finally, use social media to your advantage. Stasha shared so many great tips on how she uses Instagram and Facebook to reach global audiences and keep her business running. 
You can do the same by testing free content creation tools like Reels, Stories, and IGTV on your own business page. In the next episode, I'll chat with Rich Bernard, owner of Tio Chewy's Auto Sales, and Anne Mukherjee, CEO of Pernod Ricard, about unique challenges facing underrepresented communities, the power of representation in business, and what can happen when people of diverse backgrounds occupy leadership roles. Boost My Business is an original podcast from Boost with Facebook. New episodes are released every two weeks. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more information, see the show notes for links or visit us at facebook.com business. I'm David Fisher. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.